you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Dan Seabrook and I'm here today with David Davies, author and Chief Sales Transformation Officer at Sandler Training. David, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Good. Excellent. Thanks for coming in. So our topic for today is making channel sales work. But before we get into the conversation, David, could you please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us more about yourself as well as the company, Sandra Training? Of course. Well, my name's Dave, Dave Davies. Yeah, I'm always a Dave and unless you're my mum or I've been naughty, <laughs> then I'm always a David. Been in sales since 1986, so coming up to 35 years, uh, typically working in technology and quite often in really in management and leadership of, of technology sales teams. I've been in Sandra now for, you know, as a trainer for six years. And again, as you'd expect, I work with technology businesses, whether that's in startup or what I call spark up mode. You know, they've been around for a while. Things have gone from it stale and they need a spark. Or a scale up where they're phenomenally good at what they do. But they haven't sold ever. I have no idea where to start. We wrote the Making Channel Sales book. Making Channel Sales Workbook a couple of years ago. I was released last year. So as you'd expect, quite often the companies I'm working with now either have a channel that for whatever reasons become somewhat dysfunctional. They've found, you know, they've got thousands of channel partners and, you know, two or three that are actually selling their stuff or they're channel curious. Um, they've gone out and they've had some experience of direct selling and they believe that they've got a great proposition um, but have no idea how to start building a channel how to bring channel partners into their world. Okay, excellent, interesting. And so Dave, you mentioned that you published a book last year called Making Channel Sales Work, yeah. where you outline the 10 tools to create an effective third-party selling program. So could you share us a bit, share a bit more about that book, what people can learn from it, what they'd take from it, uh, but also the sort of motivation, I guess, as to what led you to, to write a book? Because I must, I must admit, it must take a lot of work to do so. Yeah, I, mean, I was very good. I had a very good teacher um, who taught me how to write write good content quickly uh, without worrying about editing it because that's what an editor's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why I wrote the book first. So uh, we wanted to write a sales book. My partner and in writing was a guy called Marcus Couchy. We wanted to write a sales book. We looked at our bookshelves and thought there's a 1,001 direct sales books on our shelves. Everybody's got some take on, on selling direct. And so we thought, what else, what other types of sales can we write about? And we started to talk about my career, having built some channels in the businesses that I worked in. And we thought, okay, so there must be loads of books on this subject. We found nine, two are any good. The other seven books simply are direct sales books. But where the word sales is, they put channel sales in front of it. So it's the same direct sales fluff. I'm just trying to force deploy into the channel world. And the channel world is completely different. So, okay, so we thought we, 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 yeah found this niche that we were going to write into and you know generally speaking i was you know um, pronounced as the yeah the expert in channel having built one and then we spent a year interviewing hundreds of um, channel leaders channel managers channel people else we didn't know actually that much about it and that's how we started to form the book okay we knew quite a lot about you know how we did it but we didn't know so much about how it was being done and what the structured process to channel development we learned quite quickly that there's not a lot, again, of training content that's designed and delivered to this. Mm-hmm. The book reads as a textbook, which is one of the things I love about it. It's actually okay. a working system in the book. starts with you know, that, that selection process, you know, your courtship, 
what does a perfect partner look like? But before going out and looking for that perfect partner, we ask you to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself if you've got the attributes of a great partner. Are you ready? Do you have mm-hmm. all the things in place that make you ready to go into partnership with another person or organization? What a perfect partnership looks like. You know, what are the attributes of good partners for you and your business? You know, what industries do they focus on? What does their client base look like? Does it resonate with your idea of what your ideal client looks like? So you're building partnerships that have you know, a win for the client, a win for the partner, and a win for your business. We go you take that step further. We really help them to design good channel managers. You know, we, we did our interviews. What we found quite quickly was that a lot of people in the channel everybody but a lot of people in the channel tended to be failed direct sales people okay fairly nice people mm-hmm. but were not top performers in the direct sales world yeah. but liked by the organization so they were kept and put into more of a partnering the assumption there being that you know it's just a conversation between two people two nice people have nice conversations yeah. it's a bit more so than that you know to be truly effective at channel management um, you're really wearing four hats at any given time. And so you need phenomenal expertise as a direct salesperson. Biggest criticism most vendors have of their channel is they won't let us talk to the end user. Well, I wouldn't let you talk to my end users if I didn't trust you and believe you were a, were a, a successful professional salesperson you know, that operates the way I do. Yeah. yeah. You need great management skills. And they also need to understand that they are in a management role, but they have no power over the individuals they're managing. So your partners uh, that you're managing, in reality, you're managing a sales relationship with, you have no decision-making power over whether you can hire them, fire them, little effort in, in onboarding. You have no control their rewards, their recognition, yep. their accountability. So you have to learn to manage that power. The currency of that is influence. How do you influence other people to trust, like, know, and believe that you're doing a great job on their behalf or in partnership with them? And you have good analytic skills, good research skills. It's it, it's a much bigger subject, I think. Interesting. And in terms of that book, you, you mentioned it's it's written as a textbook. So what's the audience for that? Is that a CEO of a company looking to really understand and develop the channel for their first time? Is it is it a channel director that's actually looking to to implement a new methodology or bring some new ideas to the table? What's what's the general sort of audience? It's me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the audience we wrote it for, and I guess this is most of my experience is, is growing very small businesses in successful multi-million multinationals. Yeah. So I was writing it from that guy that had just started a technology business and thought, oh, yeah, maybe alongside my direct sales efforts, I can start to build a channel. I've got a great proposition for the channel partners here. So it's written for, for what we call the channel curious those that might not yet have developed a channel and were looking for steps to take to building out an effective channel part of their business. But when you launch a book, publish a book, yeah, the audience changes really quickly. So I've got people in some of the largest technology organizations on the planet sending me feedback and asking me questions on how this stuff works. And they've already got what they would consider to be a well-defined channel business. It's just not functioning the way they hoped it would. Yeah. And they're deploying this system in their business again, to, to, to really spark up their channel business and understand more about what the responsibility on them as a vendor is when working with their partners yeah. so that it becomes a true partnership. Mm-hmm. But what many many of the vendors, when we talk to the resellers, it's not a partnership, it's a dictatorship. They're being told what to do by an overbearing vendor or an overbearing representative of the vendor. So they're using this system to augment what they're already doing and improve how they work with their partners. 
Okay, interesting. And and through the the writing of that book and interviews that you've done to to lead to the book being developed, I guess you must have seen a lot of companies being extremely successful in the channel, some less successful. You outlined some of the elements you believe are are needed or necessary to to lead to a successful channel program. On the flip side of that, what would you suggest would be some of the challenges or or perhaps the number one challenge you see companies face when they're trying to build a channel? Number one challenge they face when they build and when they go out to try and build a channel is they believe, well, I think, can we give you three? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Number one, number one problem they've got is they're not ready. Yeah. You know, one of the single biggest values you bring to partnership is your ability to train them as if they were one of your own. Because they are one of your own. There's a little point bringing them into a partnership and then treating them like a competitor. So having a strong onboarding system for your partners, that's normally missing even in some of the bigger tech companies out there. You yeah. don't know how to bring a partner on board and get them to the bank within bit of debate about this i think you've got 90 days to get a new partner to the bank and cutting an invoice selling your products before that influence wanes and their interest wanes and they're starting to you know, flirt with other vendors sure. that might get them there quicker yeah um, so that's one of them secondly you know, we've covered that onboarding piece they don't they don't bring the right people in to manage the channel it's a little bit tim nice but they're really thoroughly nice people that come in, yeah, the, the partner welcomes them coming in because actually they're more like furniture than they are causing any kind of disruption, you know, in yeah. a positive way as in getting the people motivated to sell their stuff. Yeah. So that's, you know, finding the right partners, finding the right people. And last but not least, I mean, especially in the established ones, the, the approach um, is wrong, it's off. You know, they're ringing partners once a month or even worse, one in particular I worked with was sending an, an Excel spreadsheet once a month, what we call the list of demands. You know, you're in partnership with us. Here's, here, you know, what have you got for us this month? That you're bringing up and saying, what's, what, what have you sold on our behalf this month? But no right to do it if the expectation isn't set and you're not investing time in that partnership you know, weekly, daily to find ways to augment and improve them. Yeah. So this is really horrendous. One, once a month, what have you got for me? Your approach to partner development, well, partner account management. We spoke earlier about my my theory that if you take the change the word partner account management to partner development, yeah, that simple simple change of syntax changes the the mindset of the individual. They realise their job is to develop their partners, not to ring up and ask demand from the business. Yeah, absolutely. And just on the the note you mentioned there around the, there's a bit of debate around how long you have to get the partner to revenue before maybe their interest wanes. They go and start looking elsewhere. In order to help them to get to revenue, what do you think is the most important sort of element or process you can put in place to support them to do that? Is that is that from a marketing perspective, feeding them with leads or opportunities? Is it does that come back to the onboarding where it's actually just about enabling them as as as, as best as possible? What, what's your thoughts on the best tactic or strategy to to get them to revenue in the first ninety days? Teach them to feed themselves. I, I see no issue when you're building a partnership and giving them leads, but that doesn't really help them in the long run. Sure. We all know we've worked in sales for quite a long time that marketing are often blessed with the uh, with the misguided criticism of, you know, these leads are not great. Yeah. Or any other word that people like to change are <laughs> not great with. So giving them leads is it, it might be a start, but actually the reason you've gone into partnership is because they're already working with the type of people you want to work with. So you need to train them, train their account development teams. It's probably called account management just for the purpose of this course, sure. account development teams on how to how to you know, convey your proposition 
and get their existing clients interested in what it is that you do. Uh, you know, if there's if they're just coming out the gates, and you've got to invest time in in teaching them how to prospect effectively. You know, what's the ideal client profile look like? Uh, help them to build some obsession lists. You know, who are the people we we're committed together to going and doing business with? What's our approach? How are we going to get time in their diary? When we get time in their diary, what are we going to do together that turns them into a brilliant client for both of us? Um, so getting those either thirty second adverts or one twenty second adverts because typically couple of minutes to convey sure. your message and um, working together on building that value proposition you know, what is it what, you know, what does it do how does it benefit and you know, how do you measure the benefit so that they you know that that partner's team really comfortable in going out and generating new business opportunity for you here's my standing rule as a channel channel partner development um, manager you must stand in their floor stand on their floor and make calls with them yeah don't go in there and, and tell them the theory how to do it. You sure. can't prospect yourself. Don't go and tell anybody else to do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Go show them. We see, it, um, we see it all the time with some of our clients, actually, and they come in and sit with our team, and, and they're absolutely shocked, to be quite honest, when actually our team don't reach every single prospect that they may pick up the phone to. Right. And actually, you may make 50 calls or send 50 emails and not hear back. So it's... Um, Abdication should never be a strategy in developing a channel. Absolutely. Respecting them. This is the trouble. Some people decide to go into to build a channel because they can't work out how to sell it themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're going to rely on partners that actually maybe aren't enabled because you haven't enabled yourselves to do it. So well, frustration plus frustration leads very quickly to anger. Right? Sure. So you're frustrated. You can't do it. You're frustrated. They can't do it. Yeah. And you get these angry interactions between you know, the vendor and the channel. You know, none of our partners are any good. Well, that's your responsibility to get them good, not theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, they've yeah. got an audience for you, but if you can't train them how to convey that message simply, you're screwed and, and just look yourself in the mirror. If your partner, if your partnership, your channel's not working, have a look in the mirror and ask yourself a question. Whose fault is it? And the answer should always be 100% yours. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that you've heard back from some extremely large technology companies yeah. in, in asking you about your book and asking your opinion on, on elements of your book. And you mentioned there's other vendors that are emerging. They're sort of perhaps at that channel curious stage. And clearly the difference between a large technology company and an emerging company is that, or any business doesn't have to be technology, but for the purpose of this conversation, they're going to have different challenges when building their channel. Right. If you were to, it's obviously difficult to say precisely what those challenges would look like, but some of the common themes that you see between trying to, help a channel curious business build their channel and actually either help build or ignite the channel for a large company what are some of the key differences that you see well the benefit of picking up a good vendor that's already got some emerging traction in the market and has developed some clients is let's work on the assumption typically tech businesses are started by experts yeah quite often they've never sold before they come from technology Mm -hmm. they've never sold before what I love about somebody that's never sold before is when I teach them my system, technology people tend to be systematic in their approach to what they do anyway. Yeah. And you layer a selling system on them versus some cheap tactics, and they just follow the system, and the system works. So, so that's one of my favorite things to do. So assume then again, so as we start to build out a channel, never done it, no idea what to do, and so we do it and by the book. Mm-hmm. And so, so in that sense... We follow the book and we follow a process. It's a wonderful blank sheet that we get to work from. And we get very sharp about building 
what I call the Special Forces Unit approach. Quite often when organizations start to build a channel, they're trying to build this land army. They're trying to get their logo on as many different doors across the, the, you know, the MSP network as they can and get logos and you know, product pictures on people's websites. Yeah. And you know, it just it feels to me like this great unspoken marketing exercise on behalf of the vendors. The more people that talk about our stuff, the more likely we are to get sales. I truly believe when you're building a channel is that your partners should be picked in the same way you build a special forces unit. Special forces units tend to be a collection of very specially designated individuals, each with their own specialist skill base. Yeah. Each you know, trained to a very, very high standard, handpicked often from a collection of people that are available to them as the best in their field. You put that group together and they work as a team and work off each other. That special forces unit approach to channel we're finding really, really works. That's how okay. the bigger organizations I'm working with now are deploying my scare system. I don't know what that is. When you look at your partner network of thousands, you've got some you want to keep. Yep. They're never going to set the world right, but they'll sell for you once or twice a year, and you know that. They don't need a lot of time invested in them, maybe a bit of nurturing. You've got an acquisition list. You know, the partners that you really wish were on your list. Yeah, should be no more than 25 companies, by the way, of any size of company. Okay. If you get obsessed over a small list of prospects, you'll be much more effective in your prospecting approach yeah. than just trawling. Yeah. Um, ours resurrect, so they may have been a partner of yours for a while. They probably were successful, went the way you want them back. And expand is that development group. Probably the top 20% of your partners that are performing, you know it doesn't matter how well they're performing, you can do more to help them get more. Now, the S, uh, most people don't like. The scare system has an S at the start and it's SAC. You must, must look at, you know, Greenfield partner development slightly different because you handpick your partners. Sure. But if you've been in this game for a while, 80% of your partner community probably isn't performing. Yeah. And at least the bottom 20% should be let go. Yeah, in, in as polite a manner as you can, and tell them it's your fault, by the way, because you haven't built a good system that's enabled them to grow their business, then you must come away from your partner. And as you bring those partners away, it's then the case of replacing them with some of those hand-picked partners that you've identified on that, that list of 25? The answer to that question is maybe, because it may be true that you have built this land army and you've got hundreds of partners, yeah. and you don't need hundreds of partners need 20 specialists yeah and you might find that 20 specialists have already pre, you know pre uh, pre-registered themselves as a specialist in public sector sure. or a specialist in the nhs or a specialist in in banking and finance or a specialist in manufacturing so you think about those 20 partners a very clear audience that they work with there's your partner network and i, I personally i'd rather have and take the NOAA approach of two in each category and a very small very tight partner network that i can invest almost obsess over my investments in them in growing their business and then having hundreds that I rarely speak to, rarely touch, don't do a lot for, but hey, you've got a webinar yeah. next week, clock on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we, we see that happen right across the, uh, the, the technology spectrum, so right. it all makes sense to me. And, and in terms of that sort of goes on to the, the next question, which is around, we've spoken about what's needed or what's necessary to help vendors build a, a good partner community and, and build a strong channel. You've obviously been in the in the industry a long time and must have helped a lot of organizations build up successful channel programs in the UK and Europe. What are some of the key points that the organizations should be looking at as they're looking to build a successful channel program, both in the UK, but also then as you scale into new regions that, of course, you have the cultural differences, you have language differences, you have 
different ways of selling and everything like that. What are some of the key points that the organization should be looking out for? Well, I think some of what you just just isolated, some of the first thing you should be looking out for is the that won't work here excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to work for the world's largest you know, sales and leadership training organization. And yeah. our system is deployed in 22 languages across 220 locations. Okay. Quite a lot of them are in the US, quite a lot of them are in the UK, and quite a lot of them are in Europe. And they you know, bring the local language, but the system of human interaction doesn't change that much. Yeah. So you've definitely got to appreciate the culture there. I mean, you know, don't don't send the wrong person into the territory because it will be scorched earth by the time you have to rescue them and pull them back in out again. Yeah. So be conscious of the type of people into that world. They must understand their local industry and, and the style of the type of people, you know, the way they behave and communicate in that sense. But watch for the excuses. Okay. This won't work here, that won't work here, that isn't done that way, because some of that is just yeah absolutely and is that something that you've seen in the past a lot of where organizations have maybe got a successful channel program in say north america it's it's developed well it's successful their partners are selling but actually they've tried to apply almost exactly the same model in europe and it's just not working you've had to start again there are subtleties as you track travel having built businesses on on all five continents not the two poles yet yeah well there is a sense of what what work there doesn't always work here and so you, know, you have got to be aware of you know, what's happening in the market and you have got i think to bring in or buy in expertise even if they're a third party to, to before you go into the territory understand what's happening in that space not the excuses but the truths what's happening in that space what's the market look like what's growing what's declining and you know really getting some comp understanding like you said if you come in as somebody who's trying to build a land army and then suddenly your land army lands stomping all over their ground um you're going to get resistance they're going to fight you back no nobody wants a u.s company storming into EMEA with their one-size-fits-the-world approach yeah and um, equally you know british businesses struggle sometimes to go to the u.s and get themselves started or they decide oh, oh we've seen some traction in germany let's just go to germany and do the same thing we did here well it's rude you wouldn't go for two weeks on holiday in certain parts of Europe. You might get away with it, but you wouldn't go on a cultural holiday and not embrace some of the local language. Sure. Uh, you know, just to get yourself around and fed more than anything else. So typically, I like to work out how you have to an order of beer first, then food, then have to get <laughs> um, Priorities. You wouldn't do this. You do, have, you do have to work it through. And again, if you're going to go and build a partner network in Europe, I'd start with one ideal partner. Really invest your time in them. Don't give them exclusivity. That that costs a lot more money than most people charge for exclusivity. Pick one that you think is an ideal partner and work with them for a year before opening it up. I mean, you have to be clear with them up front, set the expectation. We want to give you prime in this territory. Sure. And, and we're going to bring a lot of stuff to help you grow, but we want you to help us to, to translate it into your local market. Okay. Interesting. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your, all your insights. It's um Pleasure. It's been an interesting conversation, a new perspective for me, certainly on certain elements of channel development and the different size of organizations. Just about reaching the end of our conversation here. So if anyone wanted to get in touch with yourself or Sandra Training, know more about it, continue the conversation offline, how would they suggest to do both that, get in touch with yourself, but also Sandra Training? Well, wherever you are in the world, there's a Sandra Trainer I can introduce you to quickly. So you can call, I'll introduce you to 
to the person locally. But um, getting hold of me, easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm David W. Davies or David Davies dash making channel sales work if you're going to go and search for my name. If you type David Davies in, I should be the first one that comes up or the uh, or the English MP. It's one. <laughs> you can call me on my mobile, which is plus 44, 7737-897-810. But yeah, I encourage most people to follow me on LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to find me and get hold of me. Excellent. Great. Well, appreciate that, Dave, once again. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Wow. Thanks for having me, Dan. Much appreciated. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.